0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Dr. Lanny Evanstein, who's very much a a man of many hats, many skills. Um, I feel smarter already just being in the same Zoom room with him. Um, He is a lecturer at UCSB. Um, he's a former member of the Santa Barbara Unified School District Board of Trustees, and he's also, you know, he's an economist and political pundit and you know, anyone who's ever had an opportunity to know Lanny knows that, um, you know, you're brilliant and you have a lot to say and you're great at analysis. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you today. How are you today, Lanny?
1: Great, Josh, after that kind introduction, all I can say is the feeling is mutual <laughs> and I appreciate your work on behalf of our local
0: community for so many years. Okay, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And obviously I've covered you over the years. So um, I have great respect for, for so much of what you've done. Um, let's talk about some of the issues of the day uh, politically. I want to talk to you about all this buzz around redrawing the maps uh, to um, focus on new areas of representation in Santa Barbara County and the assembly. And we're even seeing it in the Santa Barbara Unified School District. Let's start with Santa Barbara County, Lanny. What's going on? One of your maps is like one of the three that is under consideration, I guess. So let me let you explain it. Talk to me about what this change is and um, what it means to voters. Sure, Josh. Well, the redistricting
1: process at all levels of government occurs once a decade after the census. And um, it seems that at this point in time, at really all levels of government in our local county, uh, there may be big changes, uh, more so than in past decades. Uh, and um, particularly in Santa Barbara County, uh, as a result of uh, an uh, initiative that was placed on the ballot, or rather a, a measure that was placed on the ballot by Supervisor Doss Williams, uh, the county voters uh, supported a proposal to create an independent citizens redistricting commission that's met over the past year throughout the county. They've had more than 30 meetings, and they're now down to their final uh their final meeting tomorrow, Saturday morning, at ten a.m. December fourth, and uh, uh, they started out with more than a hundred maps, and uh, three are left. Okay. And uh, the, the, the the numbers are technical, and I, everyone loses track, and there've been so many variations. But but just to identify them, they're eight eighteen C, eight twenty one C, and eight twenty two C, and and as you indicate. Um, Uh, I I was the uh, primary uh, original uh, uh, author of the map that's now 822C, although others have had uh, a role in it, and uh, the commission has itself uh, taken all the maps and and molded them uh, as they see fit and as they see best. So um, the the maps are really interesting, and, and and the possibilities that could emerge are also just fascinating. Under map 818C, which was really introduced on Wednesday night for the first time, there would be a supervisorial district, the third district. What to do with the third district is always the question. Yeah. And the proposal would be that Isla Vista, the San Inez Valley, and Orkut would be in the same supervisorial district. It would go all the way to the north of Santa Barbara. It would take in Sisquac, that area too, that's to the um, uh, east of the city of Santa Maria and uh, that you would have a, a north to south district. It would basically be Orkut, the San Inez Valley, and Isla Vista. Wow. Um, the, the individuals who draw maps aren't supposed to take into account political considerations, and that's a good thing. But what I would note is that this map could change the balance of power on the Board of Supervisors because the Orkut, San Inez Valley area, based on analysis from the, uh, from the uh, uh 2020 census, uh not 2020 census, 2020 voting in in the supervisorial districts indicates that both Bob Nelson from Orkut, Joan Hartman from the Santa Ynez Valley would be in that district, and that Bob Bob Nelson would probably uh prevail in a in race in that new district, shifting the balance of power on the board of supervisors. Um and uh uh so, so that's one of the plans, and, and that's really gotten a fair amount of interest just in the past few days.
0: So, um, so that would become a primarily North County seat, but with Isla Vista in it. So it, it,
1: it, it would be, it, it, you know, and again, from, from my standpoint, you know, one of the real problems of, of this past uh, redistricting in 2010 was putting Guadalupe in particular, but other parts of North County as well um, in the third district. and to put, you know, IV and ORCID together, I tell people I first lived in Isla Vista in 1961 when my dad came here to teach. I was a toddler when I was two years old. And I've watched that community a long time. And I, I don't think of it as having a strong community of interest with ORCID. I just don't. <laughs> and uh, the, the notion of of the, the of, of IV having, IV UCSB having a supervisor from ORCID, I, I would find that to be a, a really unusual outcome of the districting process.
0: And so much of that third district is swung by the the effort to get the vote out in Isla Vista for that supervisor. We would see that effort really severely diminished, right? Because Isla Vista and that turnout probably would not swing everything away from the north county votes so so would we see um i mean would isla vista become less important under this map or more important i
1: i I think so too and um again i'm i'm a supporter of isla vista cityhood in terms of i I think ivy should be a city as as the other uh urban areas in in santa barbara county and i i see this as a diminishment i i I would see this as a diminishment of of um, my feeling is that, um, you know, it doesn't respect the natural community of interest, yeah. which, again, from my perspective, is 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 the Santa Barbara area in terms of, uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, Isla Vista and UCSB have much more in common with Santa Barbara as far as where people uh, live, where they work, where they're going to live after they graduate from UCSB. There's many there's several thousand students from city college who live in Isla Vista. Many students transfer from city college to UCSB so that that to me seems to be a much more natural district yeah. um, for, for Isla Vista and UCSB. So that's one map. Tell tell, tell, tell me about the other two. Right? Okay. All right. Map 821C is, is, is another map that has kind of come up through the process and it would have, uh, again, big changes in the county in terms of um, the third, and again, in the third district in particular. And that that affects others too, but, but that's where the primary changes would be. In 821C, you'd have Isla Vista, UCSB, about half of the Elwood area. You can't, the, the population is now shifted up to North County to, the, to an extent that you just can't have like it's been the past decade, all of Elwood and Ivy and UCSB in terms of you'd have to kind of skirt Isla Vista UCSB around the edge of Elwood in part, and then connect it with with northern Santa Barbara County, Um, which I in general oppose in terms of I I think that's gerrymandering. And I'm against gerrymandering, whether it's done by Democrats, or whether it's done by Republicans. It's not the right way that um, uh, districting should occur and, but, but in any event, so, so you would have Ivy UCSB part of Elwood, and then you'd have not the San Ynez Valley. So once again, at least as currently a uh, position, Joan Hartman would be districted out in terms of, she'd no longer live in the third district. Um, all of Solvang, San Ynez, Buellton, Los Olivos, Ballard, they, they'd all be, um, it become part of the fourth supervisorial district with ORCA um, in that permutation. Um, and then the third district would cut around uh, uh, Elwood. It would cut around the San Inez Valley. It would then pick up all of the city of Lompoc, which is, is a, it's, it's, it's a significant city. It's 46,000 people. Um, uh, it's not a high voter turnout city. It's, it's probably the poorest city in santa barbara county in terms of um and then but then it would also pick up all of the so-called lompoc valley area which is vandenberg village mission hills vandenberg space force base and those are areas that that together have something like seventeen thousand people or so that that turn out uh pretty significantly so that you'd have really a quite disproportionate share of the district who would be in the Lompoc, uh, Vandenberg, uh, uh, Vandenberg areas. And um, you know, would that mean that the next supervisor would be from Lompoc or Vandenberg areas? And what would that person's political ideology be? Well, historically the Lompoc area has tended to elect conservative supervisors. Would that continue in the future? You know that, that's a good question, but um, it, it's something that uh, I think it's an open question with a district that would no longer have the San Inez Valley in it. Um, how that district would vote in mm-hmm. terms of um, and uh, again, Galita, which is also tends to vote liberal, particularly the western end, the parts of it that were in the district uh, in the in the past supervisorial would and for the most part not be in the district so um, so that area too would be removed from the district so it, it would be a, a district with a lot of new people you know would be it would be more than I mean if I don't believe now there's any of the city of Lompoc in the third district so I mean that's 46,000 people out of night that's, that's more than half the district at least would be new than additional areas elsewhere the point
0: is is that you know it'd be a largely new district. Wow. And so, the, and, and the third, the third map under consideration, oh, yeah. is that your, uh, that's your map? Is that your the map?
1: Map A22C yeah. is the one that that's, that's the map that I, I think that, that would be that, that I, I build as a compromise mm-hmm. in terms of what one of the issues that came up early on, um, as I said, was that there was a real strong feeling that, um, Guadalupe in particular, uh, should be in the, uh, in a North County, uh, supervisorial district. And there's been strong support at the hearings for having Guadalupe be in the fifth district with Santa Maria, to which it's closest, um, which would also mean that each supervisorial district could have coastal territory and coastal access, which which people have thought is important. And uh, because elsewise, the fifth district has not historically had that sort of coastal access. Well, that means and the 5th district has grown the most of anyone in any district anyway, so it's got to lose some of its territory. And then you take in uh, Guadalupe, then it's got to lose more. So it would. But, but I think that the compromise that, that I've tried to say is that um, put Guadalupe in the 5th district and put um, uh, uh, UCSB and Isla Vista in the 2nd district, that's the best communities of interest for both. How those supervisorial districts are going to turn out is anybody's question in terms of, but I think that they, it would retain a little bit more of the existing structure. Um, and uh, it would also place um, almost all, more than 90% percent of each of the city of Galita and Lompok in the third district with the San Inez Valley. Um, the, the map 822C would also uh, unite, the east side and the west side of the city of Santa Barbara in the first district, okay. which people have indicated is important. And then the Mesa with City College would then become part of the uh, 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 district, then the second district uh, with uh, Nolita and uh, uh, Isla Vista and UCSB.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, hearing you describe it, <clears throat> let's, let's get to like the heart of this now is what does this mean for those people in office, and does it open the door for new type of representation? You know, when I hear you talking about the first district, we'd have the east side and the west side. I mean, that sounds like a, a, a something that would help a candidate like Ados Williams running for reelection. You know, um, when you talk about you know the second district with like a Greg Hart. How would that impact, you know, him? You know, if that is reconfigured, what do the politics of this look like for the people in office? And let's talk about your map, Lanny. I guess, um, you know, that that sounds like one that I'm hearing is people a lot of people like. What does this mean for the people in office and potential candidates? Good. Well, I think that um,
1: you know, on the first district map, yeah. um, I think that a, a candidate with a uh, political outlook similar to dos Williams would probably continue to be elected and it would even be you know modestly uh, you know it, it, would, it would be modestly more in, in that perspective in terms of and, and that's just from the drawing of the lines of the of the areas that are then closest to um, uh, to the existing first district so I don't think there'd be much change there mm-hmm. in the second district and um, you know we're, we're gonna I hope to I hope, talk about that in terms of on the assembly race. And um, uh, th- those lines have yet to be announced fully, um, And uh, but yet the preliminary lines are out. And I, I think it's really Greg Hart's call whether he wants to run for supervisor or not, in tr- excuse me, for, for assembly or not, from having already run for supervisor. Uh, and, um, and and if he does run, then I think he'd be a very strong candidate. If he doesn't run, the only announced candidate at this point in time is, is Jonathan Abood uh, from the City College Trustee. Um, and, uh, but I think that uh, Greg would not would be likely to run for, would be likely to be reelected under his existing lines. Um, I think that if he has uh, Isla Vista and UCSB in his district rather than Goleta, um, I think that makes it moderately easier for him to be reelected. Um, and I think that's true for any other candidate. But at the same time, I've tried to make the point that there's not that much difference in, in the voting between Goleta and Isla Vista UCSB these days. I mean, 40 years ago, it was a different issue. Um, and uh, you know, when I was at UCSB, I was a, a young Democrat working for, for Bill Wallace, hard to imagine back in 1980. And it, it was different between Ivy and UCSB and Goleta then. You know than it is at this point in time. But but I, I as I said, but it would be modestly easier in terms of and um uh, and, and it'll be fascinating to see if 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 Greg uh what Greg chooses to do and what the final assembly lines are. But I did want to say that that one candidate who I could foresee running for second super district, second supervisorial district who would I think be a have a strong chance of winning uh, would be current Santa Barbara City Council member Megan Harmon. Um, because she's termed out, you know, on the, the city council. Um, she'd have to move into the new su- uh, second district. Um, Eric Friedman is also uh, a possibility, I think a strong possibility for second supervisorial district. Um, he doesn't live in the city of, of, of uh, excuse me, he doesn't live in the, my, my understanding is he doesn't live in the current second supervisorial district and if anything, the line's going to be pushed out a block in his neck of the woods further toward Goleta. So he, he also would have to move uh, into the uh, into the second district in order to run if Greg were to run for, for supervisor. So I think that um, uh, the location of Isle Vista and UCSB in the second supervisorial district, uh, that, that district has been represented by, uh, uh, in addition to Greg, um, uh, Susan Rose, um, and, uh, and and others so it's something that um, my, my feeling is is that that sort of ideological standpoint would uh, remain in the second supervisorial district if IV and UCSB became part of that district and if anything that that perspective would I think become much more, important in the county structure because it would no longer be relegated to third district in North County and the supervisors from somewhere else. And there isn't the sort of interaction where Ivy and UCSB residents could be meeting with their local neighborhood supervisor on a very frequent basis. So I think it would change the internal dynamics of that district, but not so much how it voted.
0: So Greg Hart is looking good no matter what he chooses here, that's fair, right? I mean, he would get reelected as a supervisor um, with this, with with a new map that would change modestly for him, but he would probably still win. And in an assembly race, he's got to be the most formidable countywide candidate. No, no offense to Jonathan Aboud or any of the other names that are, that are considering running, but. Um, he's looking pretty good, correct uh, countywide? I, I I think so. In terms of
1: uh, you know, Greg was elected to the City Council of Santa Barbara, I think four times. I think he was elected twice in the nineties, and then again more recently, he's now been elected to the County Board of Supervisors. Uh, he started out his career as an aide to uh, Jack O'Connell. Um, at one time, uh, he indicated he'd like to run for the. Uh, uh, State Assembly. I was talking to someone who is a friend of his uh, over the weekend, who said they thought that this person thought that that Greg's decision would be motivated by where he feels he can make the biggest difference in terms of uh, that. That would be uh, what would motivate him. Again, it's a big decision to say I want to move to San uh, to Sacramento as opposed to hey, I'm enjoying being on the board of supervisors, and you know. Um, you know, Greg's a long time. He grew up in Santa Barbara. He went to UCSB. Um, he's, he's lived in this area a long time. So it's something that um, uh, but but I do think that if he were to run, he
0: would be the strongest,
1: uh, the strongest candidate.
0: And um, shed a little bit of light for me on on Megan Harmon and what you said there. So you're saying if Greg Hart were to run for assembly would open up the second district seat for somebody like Megan Harmon or even an Eric Friedman. Correct? Right. Is that correct? Yeah. So would I, Megan have to move under the new configuration of the second district?
1: Yeah, I. I you know, I'm not 100% certain exactly where everybody lives in terms yeah. of, and, um, and, and what's interesting is that, you know, because of the timelines for uh, declaring for the primaries for both supervisor and state assembly, Um, you know, I think what Greg is going to do is the $64,000 question and everyone's going to be holding off. Um, if, if he runs for assembly, then you're going to see people jumping into the, the supervisor's race. If he runs for reelection for supervisor, then you're probably going to see additional people jumping into the, into the assembly race. Um, so, you know, but the point is, is that it can't be a wait and see in terms of, because, um, the primaries for both supervisor and assembly are both in June and no one can run Greg can't run for both simultaneously. So he has to decide which way he's going to go and then I think other people will follow. And what what I noticed recently when I, I mentioned Megan is that it's true she was just reelected. Um, however, if you'll recall she had more than two years on her previous term when she was in fact, I believe she was, She was appointed to fill Greg's seat in terms of um, the, um, because Oscar was elected to replace Kathy um, and, uh, uh, And then Megan was appointed originally to fill Greg's seat, but there was, there remained more than two years. Mm. And the way the charter is written is that if you serve more than two years of a term, it's counted as a full term. So even though she's really
0: just been elected to her first full term, she'd be termed out. Oh, you Um, just, you just blew my mind, Lanny. I I never thought of it that way, but you're, you're exactly right. You know, that, technically that first term was hers because it was what more than two and a half years, I guess that she was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so she's has to think about the future then at some point real soon here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And and, I mean, it's something that, um, you know, and again, I think that Eric Friedman will also be a very strong candidate Um, on the other hand, um, you know uh, uh, you know, Megan serving on the, the Coastal Commission that's often a county super well of course she's on the council and got it from there but it, it's often been a, a position that someone has served on the, the, the Board of Supervisors, uh, the, uh, the the county Board of Supervisors from so I think that they would certainly be two leading candidates um, uh, for that second supervisorial seat, and. Um, uh, you know, and and who knows, they might both run in terms of that's within the realm of possibility. And then if either one of them were elected, there'd have to be a special election to fill their seat in the city of Santa Barbara, because that was also part of the ordinance, the the amendment after district elections were implemented was that was the clarifying the the terms for uh, the, the, the two terms, but then also saying that that seats in districts would then be filled by special election rather than council appointment unless it's in the last year. And that wouldn't be the case for either one. So we actually could see if if Greg decides to run for assembly, um, you know, then a, a step up from the Santa Barbara City Council and then a new election in the Santa Barbara City Council to fill a vacancy on it in oh, terms wow. of so these these districting issues are, are going to have a lot of ramifications. And again, we control our local seats um, in the county on the board of supervisors, but not uh, at the assembly, uh, state senate, and uh, and congressional level. So it's something that uh, the, the state redistricting commission is going to. Uh, they've they've announced preliminary lines, and they're going to announce uh, they're going to announce, uh, announce further revisions even in the next day or so. Uh, And then they're going to announce final lines by the middle of the month. So we'll know soon enough what those final lines are going to be. I I, I think that some people are waiting to announce their candidacies um, until that time. I'd mention though, that uh, Jonathan Aboud, in addition to uh, having already announced his candidate, also I know has the endorsement of his fellow trustee, Anna Everett. Uh, on the Santa Barbara city college board of trustees. So if, 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 if it, I, you know, when, when the final lines are announced and uh, all the candidates make their decisions, uh, we'll, we'll see how that race shakes out, but it's something that uh, at least at this point in time, he's, he's running an active campaign.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately, do you see this three 2 split where the South County has three sort of liberal votes and the North County has two, and most things go three, two that are, that are politically controversial. With these three maps, do you sort of see that possibly swinging to where, where the North County constituents have more influence over these close votes? Is that where we're headed here?
1: Yeah, that, that's a really
0: good question.
1: And and it, it, it depends of course on the, um, Circumstances of each individual election and candidate who's running, um, and uh, you know. But I do think that um, you know. I re- I remember back you know to the nineteen seventies on on who ran for supervisor and all that kind of stuff. I remember when Bob Coleman was first elected uh, supervisor in nineteen seventy four, and at that time because of the population in the county mission canyon was in the second supervisorial district you know now the second uh, you know now now the first district goes all the way out you know to hope avenue so i mean the point is is that um, uh, and and likewise on 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 the the West Side Mason, Nolita, and Mason and Alita and Galita and Isla Vista, you know, the point is there used to be three supervisors on the South Coast and then and San Inez was just sort of a, a little bit, you know, of the Galita IV UCSB district. The um and uh, uh you know whereas now the population in Santa Barbara County has moved more north there's there's two and two-thirds by population, there's two and two-thirds supervisors in North County. And there's only two and a third supervisors on South County. And 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 every every decade, you know in another decade it'll be down to 2.2 on the south coast or who knows what you know something like that so the the days of three south coast supervisors are over in santa barbara county and i think it's just better to acknowledge that and move on rather than try to gerrymander lines and 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 create false communities of interest now in terms of what that means for the vote in santa barbara county is i think a very different question because um, as Guadalupe is moved into the 5th Supervisorial District and some of Southern uh, Santa Maria uh, is then also moved out of the, uh, uh, the 5th Supervisorial District, that's going to be a more challenging district for a conservative-oriented um, supervisor. Um, I think Steve Lavinino could hold it mm-hmm. in terms of, but that's a unique situation. He's, he's declined to state. His father was mayor of Santa Maria. The family has been there forever in terms of, um, but that district in the long run is an open question how it's going to go. Um, likewise, a district comprised of uh city of Goleta, San Inez Valley, and Lompoc, but not the Vandenberg Air Force Base area that tends to be somewhat more conservative and turn out more than the city of Lompoc, you know. In my mind, that's that that's that's an open question that would be a, a, a seat that is, uh, you know, not a sure thing one way or the other. I would think that Joan Hartman would have a better chance in that than under the 818C with Orkut. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the other proposal, she's not in the district under at all. So the point is, is that so how no, who knows how that would turn out. Um, you know, would, would Jay Freeman from Isla Vistra try to run in a district that's IV and Lompoc? And, um, you know, he's served on, uh, SB, I forget if it's SB CAG or, uh, one of the other organizations, the, um, but, but, but anyway, one of the countywide government Mm -hmm. official organizations, And, and he's made an effort to build bridges across the county in terms of, um, and uh, so, so that's a possibility. The fourth district with Orcut, um, that, that that's likely, you know, and, and again, that central county area, um, it just, and, you know, that seems to me that's, that's likely gonna be continue to be a, a conservative district. So I, I'm not, I, I think it depends on the individual map. Um, I, I think ironically, the 818 um, uh, C is perhaps the, the map that's most likely to flip the Board of Supervisors. Um, Between 821C and 822C, I would say it is about a wash in terms of you can make an argument either way. Um, But in, in Joan Hartman's case, she would then either have to move into, in the case of 821C, she'd have to move into the new district or someone else would have to run from IV or Lompoc. So, um, you know, uh, and, and Lompoc tends to be more moderate in terms of if you had, you know, a district that's two thirds Lompoc and Vandenberg Air Force Base area and then one third, IV, UCSB and Elwood, are the people from Lompoc and Vandenberg irrespective of party and ideology, are they gonna wanna be represented from, by someone from Isla Vista? Or Elwood, you know, the part of it that remains from Elwood. I don't know that that. But but my feeling is that would be a hard. I think that would be a hard sell to the two thirds of the district in that Mm -hmm. neck of the woods. So you know, um, uh, as I said. But yeah, I I think that the 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 county lines are changing and the gerrymandering that's been done, um, in particular, in uh, since there's a lot of criticism of Republican gerrymandering on a national level, which is appropriate. Let's be clear. The 2010 gerrymandering in, in Santa Barbara County was by the Democrats from a liberal perspective. And again, I'm against gerrymandering, whether it's by any party. So it's something mm-hmm. that draw clean lines, draw true communities of interest, let the chips fall where they may find good candidates to run, run them. And, and then, you know, and, and again, I I don't think that the county was so different when Brooks Firestone was supervisor of third the third district in mm-hmm. terms of Um, you know, it, 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 it's something that my, my feeling is, is that again, some of these issues, people are looking at it from a lens of, of several decades ago, rather than the current political situation in our County.
0: Well put well said, I want to ask you about Santa Barbara Unified School District, uh, district elections. So, so we're seeing from a movement from at large elections to district elections and those maps are being drawn, I guess, now as well. Um, You're a former board member, you know the issues of the school district, you know, past, present very well. Um, what would district elections, what will district elections mean for representation on the school board?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a really good question because um, the Santa Barbara Unified School District is a large district in terms of, it goes all the way from Montecito through the edge of Goleta, Um, and, uh, uh, you know, only the Santa Barbara community college district is larger on the South coast that also includes Carpinteria. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and so as with many other government agencies, I think there are 20 government agencies in Santa Barbara County that are implementing district elections in 2022. Maybe maybe it's 19, maybe it's 21, but you know, it's about 20, it's within about one of 20 of of government agencies that are, are implementing district elections, and one of them is, is the Santa Barbara Unified School District, and that's Countywide in terms of City of Lompoc, um, you know, school districts throughout the county: Lompoc Unified, Santa Maria Bonita, Santa Barbara uh, San, Santa Maria High School District, San Ynez uh, Valley Union High School District, Galita School District, Carpinteria School District, City of Carpinteria, and others. The um, uh, so um, in, in the case of the Santa Barbara Unified School District, the question wasn't so much whether or not they would uh, institute uh, district elections, but whether they would have five members on the Board of Education or seven members. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the issue that was brought forward by uh, the advocates of district elections in the case of the Santa Barbara Unified School District. Um, Because as a result of the large size of the uh, school district, if you only have five districts, the districts are too large to allow representation uh, from the perspective of the purposes of the California Voting Rights Act. Um, So that, for example, you can create uh, with seven districts, um, well, well, let's put it this way, there's something like 190,000 people in the uh, Santa Barbara Unified School District. And if you have five districts, it's 38,000 people per district. And if you have seven districts, it's 27,000 people per district. And if your smallest district is 38,000, you really can't create a uh, minority uh, citizen, voting age population majority district in terms of the east and the west side just together don't have enough population. They only have maybe, they have about a population of 28,000 or something like that, You know, 29, 30,000. And then you have to go to the Mesa or the Riviera or the Upper East Side or something like that, which then dilutes the vote on the East Side and the West Side. So that, so that with five seats, you could create an East Side, West Side district, but then it would also have the Mesa or the, East, the Upper East Side or the Riviera and then you would lose that ability for representation, um, and, and similarly in Galita, in terms of the old town Galita area, Isla Vista, you know, some other areas where you could create a uh, a majority CVAP a citizen voting age uh, population district. Um, the um, with 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 seven districts you can do it. With five districts, it, it then just gets too large. So, sure enough, the the consultant that the Santa Barbara Unified School District uh, employed. Um, did an analysis and they presented maps with both uh, five and seven districts. And I'm not sure if with five districts, if they could even create one district that was majority underrepresented uh, uh, class um uh majority districts in terms of maybe there was one at 51 i i forget under some plan in terms of but 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 if there was one it was it was really marginal oh in fact i think it may have been in i believe it or not it it may not have been not in santa barbara but it was in iv galita ucsb iv in part because of the student enrollment at ucsb and it wasn't a latino majority cvap but it was a non-white majority CVAP as a result of the large Asian proportion of students at UCSB, which that, that, that's not the purpose of the California Voting Rights Act. That, that's, that's a valid issue, but the point is that that wasn't the focus of it. So anyway, so, so the five map doesn't really address that issue. Whereas if you go to seven, then you can actually get to um, a, a strong uh, majority uh, uh, CVAP uh, district on the east and west side, and, and you get also to do more things in the Goleta area and, and parts of Isla Vista and Goleta Western area. And I, I think, too, that in, in attending those hearings, I haven't attended all of them, but I've, I've attended several of them, um, th- there just seems to be a feeling that tw- 28,000 people in a district is better than thirty-eight thousand um, in the city of Santa Barbara, it's fifteen thousand people per district. Even you know, with seven, you'd have districts almost twice the size as in the city of Santa Barbara. Do, do you really want to go to you know even larger districts than that? So I think that people have felt that the, the seven districts would be the preferred alternative. Um, at the one of the most recent school board meetings. I think it was the most recent one school board president, Kate Ford said she would be in favor of seven districts, or at least that was the direction she was leaning at that point in time. And uh, other members of the board have been open to it. And I think that's the question that will really uh, come to pass there. And then what that would mean is that in the November, 2022 election, there'd be four seats up for election on the Santa Barbara board of education. And they could, normally there'd only be two, And so they could either make those extra two seats, you know, the four year for that one, or they could do one two year seat and then have that, you know, fourth four year person when the three year ones, the three three year ones are up in two years. Or they could do the four now and then just have them the three up in 2024. So again, I I tend to think government is better when it's closer to the people. That's why I've always supported district elections. Irrespective of any other issue, I think it brings government closer to the people and provides more representation of diverse interests. And it, it's just, you have a representative you can go to and that knows your part of the district. Um, I, I recognize people say that it leads to horse trading and all this kind of stuff. And I I just, I, I think there was a learning curve on the city council and elsewhere, um, but I, I haven't seen much of that, but, but I have seen individuals starting to champion uh, projects in their districts a little bit more you know i think that in the city of santa barbara the fact that the ortega park mural uh, the, the, the issues surrounding the murals you know if it had just been the old system they would have just blown it through you know whereas no the people in that area really didn't want it and in that district and you know and their council member then championed that issue and then what can the rest of the council say so it, it, it's something that you know i i think that's what's going to happen more and more as district elections are are implemented across Santa Barbara County and across the state of California.
0: And, and ultimately, obviously we talk so much about the politics of all of this, but you know, really at the core, the reason we care so much is about the quality of education. So I wanna ask you about an issue that was an issue when you were on the school board, has uh, been an issue for decades, it's an issue now, you know, the achievement gap, You know. Um, can you can you talk for a couple minutes on equity and, and, and how do we improve outcomes for underrepresented students students of color um, I think it's gotten a little better but you know the school district has sort of very much embraced um, you know this tone of um, social emotional uh, safety inclusion equity um, the feeling of wanting students to feel safe when they come to school so that they can learn and it's been controversial because you've got a group of people say just teach them math just teach them how to write everything will be fine don't have low standards you know and so can I get your thoughts on how do we approach this is it it bigger than the school district I mean I tend to think that Uh, you know a lot of this happens outside of the schools you know it happens so much you know at home it happens in support away from the school district what can teachers do to close the achievement gap from your perspective sure josh
1: i I think that's one of the most important questions we have to uh, address as a society and um, you know, I've always felt that who's on the school board is as, if not, more important than who's on the city council or uh, the Board of Supervisors, because th- those issues are, are really important. And uh, you know, I've, I've always been known as an educational conservative. And um, as I say, it's something that I certainly agree that all students have to feel uh, equi- have to feel that there's a system of equity and inclusion, and and have always advocated in that uh, during my involvement in schools. But but I feel really strongly um, on the basis of uh, uh, statistical research that the uh, most effective way of closing the achievement uh, gap, and what we tried to do when I was on the Board of Education was to increase summer school um, because uh, what, what most educational uh, research indicates is that during the school year, both lower and higher socioeconomic, there's a gap, but lower and higher socioeconomic students will achieve at about the same level, that improve, increase their educational attainment at about the same level during the school year, but that during the summer, the gap grows. That's when the gap grows because higher socioeconomic children generally have more opportunities in the summer for uh, educational and intellectual advancement and development um, than children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds in terms of the schools are more important to children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, So that, so, so that you know, so, so there's sort of like an even a progress over the year, but then after school starts again in August or September, the gap's wider, and then it remains the same, and then it gets wider in the summers. So what, what I've always advocated, and it's not just rhetoric in terms of it's reality, and it's something that you know I've I've talked to uh, school board members and administrators and principals about this for years with some success in terms of, but not enough, in terms of we need to get half of lower socioeconomic children in summer school in the Santa Barbara Unified School District. 10% doesn't cut it. I'm not interested nearly as much in social programs or other philosophical approaches. I wanna see half of lower socioeconomic kids in summer school and it doesn't cost that much. They have categorical funding that is, uh, could easily achieve that goal. Um, the uh, 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 summer school is inexpensive um, as a result of uh, uh, the, uh, the buildings are already there. Um, teachers are paid on an hourly basis and it's existing teachers usually younger teachers or teachers earlier in their career their benefits are already paid for um, the the principals of summer school uh, classes and schools are generally teachers who want to be administrators so you know they're not summer school is not an expensive program it, it's something like it costs one-third Per capita for the amount of time as as the regular program year. So the point is, it's not it's not an expensive approach. And um, so so as I said, you know, I'm I'm really strong on if you want students to learn more, then they should have more time in terms of. I'm I'm also a big advocate of seventh period at the junior highs in terms of. Um, and uh, uh, and again, when when I was on the board of education, and I'm not trying to make any comment other than that we've had different policies at different points in time. But we had seventh period at the junior high schools um, at that point in time. That was a great opportunity for particularly uh, 12 and 13-year-olds to have more educational opportunities um, than they were were currently having with a six-period day. And we also, at least for grades under under grade uh, 3, we were up to 50%. Of students who are learning English in a summer school program, and it's something that, and that's where we track funds and and and, and categorical funds. And the, the notion that no, let's use our our categorical funds on an aid during the year rather than a six-week summer school program for for lower socioeconomic kids in the summer. To me, that's where I would focus. And again, you know, I, I think you know me. Well enough to know that I don't rain on other people's parades in terms of other people have an idea that they're pushing. I'm not, I'm not going to be against it. And as I said, there's progress that can be made in in lots of different areas. But if, you know, your question is, is what can be done to narrow the uh, achievement gap? You know, the, the best answer is, um, uh, implement much more significant summer school and particularly after COVID with all the kids who've lost so much time in school over the past over the you know preceding year and a half to the start of this school year. Um, you know, we've just got to the school districts have a lot of extra money that's come down from the federal government and the state government. You know, let them really expand their summer school programs. Let's get thousands of children in summer school in our elementary school district. Um, rather than hundreds so that that's my answer and I feel very strongly about it
0: okay thank you for that um we got a couple minutes and I want you to weigh in on this I would call it a seismic shift (laughs) at the Santa Barbara City Council um we you know Kathy Murillo was elected twice to the city council she was elected mayor and then this incredible perfect storm and I don't mean perfect as in you know, I agree, you know, like as in good, I just mean perfect in the sense of all these things came together to create a scenario where Kathy Murillo got voted out and Randy Rouse, who, of course, he he does not like the conservative label. He is a moderate, but he's definitely far more to the right than Kathy. And you would never think this would happen sort of in the modern era with the sort of voter makeup of of santa barbara you know you look at the previous mayors in the last three or four uh very liberal so what happened lanny how did we how did we get to this point where where, where randy rouse is the mayor of santa barbara and and kathy Maria, the democrat wouldn't she would come in second she came in third how did this happen yeah, good question. Well, I should say, you know, Randy is closer to my own philosophical perspective, and
1: I I, I like Kathy. And again, I, I think that in some ways she was under. Uh, it was it was a challenging time with COVID and also the implementation of district elections. And I mean, it, it's something that these were some some difficult times she experienced. But in politics, um, it's it's how many votes you get, and I, I think that Randy positioned himself. He couldn't have positioned himself better in terms of. Um, he he's certainly a moderate in terms of no one would say, um, as uh, uh, could be said, for example, of Frank Hodgkiss, that he's on the far right or something like that in terms of you may disagree with Randy, but the point is, is he, he's a moderate, and both temperamentally and philosophically. Um, and uh, so, and again, he got almost four, and when the final votes were cast, I think it was 38% that he got at the end of the day in the final vote. And in a, you know, and, and granted, two of the candidates were were not too significant, but in a six-person race, to get 40% of the vote is pretty darn good. And I, I think that to a certain extent, that was a personal victory for Randy and uh, a vote of support in him. Again, he'd been elected twice to the council. He'd originally been appointed to it when Doss Williams was elected to the state assembly in that. Uh, remarkable appointment where Grant House voted for Randy, you know, and you know, the Lodge. Over yes. heel, and, yes. and, 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 and then there were four votes all of a sudden. The yeah. um and uh so um so 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 really uh, Grant House is who started, you know, someone from the left is who started Randy Rouse's political career. And um the um and I, I think that on the council he generally took a pretty moderate tone. i I think that he's a fiscal conservative um i I do think too that um again and and then there's philosophical differences on these issues but um you know there have to be social services and and there also has to be uh public safety and it's something that i i don't hear anyone who isn't uh, in favor of both well maybe, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement but the point is most people are in favor of both and you know, it's, it's what you emphasize. And I think for people to say, we need to continue to emphasize public safety, I think that resonates with a lot of Democrats in town. That's not just a conservative issue in terms of, um, and uh, uh, so, so I feel that, that some of his issues, um, particularly in that area, on spending issues, on finance issues, um, I, I think resonated a little bit more closely with a large segment of the voters, I think on growth issues, too, in terms of Santa Barbara has this uh, unusual uh, group of uh, NIMBY Republicans, as they're sometimes referred to, um, of uh, people who are conservative politically, but are also uh, environmentally conscious on, on, on quality of growth issues. The, the Sheila Lodge Party, is, as I sometimes refer to it in Santa Barbara, which is Kind of equally comprised of democrats and and republicans and um the um and i think randy appealed to that group of people who you know there's a lot of regulations coming down from the state on density and number of floors and all that kind of stuff and in general i'm for lower density and i'm for fewer fewer stories in terms of i think that's more consistent um with uh, santa barbara's history and Um, uh, the type of city that it is. And I don't think that, you know, building a lot of new developments that are, you know, dozens of units and 85% of them are market and 15% of them are affordable. I don't think that does very much for affordable housing in our community in terms of, I just don't. And again, we could argue about that and and go back and forth on it. But the point is, I think Randy's perceived as on the side as is Kristen Sneddon for that matter. Um, I, I think that um, as, as being on the side of, you know, we don't need to go hog wild on this. And, you know, it's something that we want to retain, Santa Barbara's historic uh, building structure. And I think there's others on the council who are of that view as well. I think Mike Jordan has historically been open sometimes on those issues. I think Eric Friedman is, is sometimes open on those issues. Um, you know, and, and with the other councilor uh, members, Megan Harmon and Oscar Gutierrez, Alejandro Gutierrez, I, I don't see any of them as necessarily, you know, we got to build all, you know, multi-story buildings with as much density as possible. And again, there'd be different emphases on the city council, but I think that Randy's election really signals a reconfiguration um, of, uh, um you know the relative support on the council on particularly the growth issues. Um, and again, you know, if 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 either Eric or Megan is elected to the board of supervisors, there could yet be further change on on the Santa Barbara City Council. You know, within the next next year or so. And well, I mean, it'd be a year from now that the second the second super. And again, Greg may run for reelection. But right. the point is, is that um, I, I don't think that we have historically Santa Barbara has been I think well served by uh, city councils that have diverse representation from the community of ideological perspectives I, I don't think the city council has done well when it's all been one perspective so I, I think it'll be more of a traditional Santa Barbara City council that you know isn't isn't strongly in one direction or the other and and I, I think that's appropriate
0: okay well Lanny I really appreciate your time today I don't know why um, we waited so long to do this but we should do it again, um, you know, definitely before the before June and the primary and all of that stuff, um, you know, uh, there's so much happening and uh, it's just so exciting and it's a pleasure to be able to talk to somebody who has all this insight and analysis and is able to explain it in a way that I and, you know, the audience can understand and uh, connect with. So thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Josh. I, I look forward to it. Yes, it'll be a fascinating political season, I think. All right. Have a great one. Take care.